What is more, you are God's holy priests who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. I love it sometimes when I get up to preach a sermon and it just feels like God has already said everything that he needs to say and all I get to do is just underline and highlight Pastor Darren and the worship team has already done. I grew up in a real strange family. It probably doesn't surprise most of you, and you're wondering about my use of the term I grew up. But be that as it may, my family was a little interesting. My mom became a Christian when she was a teenager, a totally non-Christian family. And my dad became a Christian in his 30s, uh, shortly before he met my mother. And I think that that fact, that both of them came from non-Christian backgrounds and became Christians as young adults or as adults, really colored everything in my household, everything that happened in my home. Both my parents were first-generation Christians. Both my parents remembered the darkness. And both of my parents felt that part of what they needed to do all the time was to go out into the darkness and preach the gospel to the lost. And not only to go, but to invite people in. And so my home was a crazy home. There was always people in my home. I'd come home from school and I'd never know who was going to be there. Uh, the, the sawmill brought in, I think, 25 families from northern India. So there was a huge Sikh uh, community and, and some of the Sikhs that came to our home, and, and we were in First Nations territory. There was a three reserves within a stone's throw of town, and so there was First Nations people that came to my home. Basically anyone, anyone that needed Jesus was welcome. Anyone that was looking, even if you weren't looking, you were welcome in my home. My mom was a nurse at the hospital, and, and she was pretty rabid evangelist there as well. I think there's four or five nurses in the hospital that became Christians because of her, and she would preach the gospel to people, patients that would come in on stretchers. And I don't know that you could even get away with that today. Probably not, but that's who she was. And us kids were just raised where that was normal. That was just how it was. And I remember once my older sister's frustration, my older sister Tannis, because she ran away from the Lord for a few years, and she went away to college, and, and uh, she phoned home one time, and she was super frustrated, because in college, uh, she seemed to attract all the, all the people that needed help, and they would come to her for love and advice and care, and, and she was so frustrated, because she'd give them advice and they would love the advice that she gave them, but she knew she was giving them biblical advice. She was giving them Christian advice, even though she herself was not living for the Lord, and it was so frustrating for her. It's bizarre to me. Bizarre. How much of the Christian church in North America just doesn't engage in witness? At all. How many Christians have made faith all about themselves, what God can do for me? Just you and me, Jesus. How much of what we say is faith is just insulation, being afraid of the world, staying away from non Christians because they might influence me to do bad things instead of me influencing them to do good things. And so just stay away. It's easier. They might influence you to sin. Being more afraid of the taint than the cure. 
It's, it's bizarre to me. The first Christians couldn't afford to be that way. I mean, they just, they couldn't. They were strangers in a strange land. They were all of them, first generation Christians, saved out of darkness. They were all impacted by the person and the work of this man, Jesus. He changed their lives, and they knew that part of changing their lives was to take this change that they'd experienced and to bring it very back into the very darkness that they came from, to be that salt and to be that light, to proclaim the gospel to their lost friends and neighbors and even their enemies. They, they knew that. And they came out of a Jewish world where so much of the Old Testament and so much of, of the Jewish approach to life was be separate from these people. You can't, you can't be influenced by them. You have a whole different set of rules. You've got to marry a, a certain set of people and you've got to follow all of these things. You've got to be different. And so the way to be different is to be isolated from them. And, and that was the Old Testament approach, a lot of it. Follow these rules so that you can be different. The Old Testament was all about isolation. And there's value to that. But the New Testament world, the world that we live in, was all about penetration. Preach the gospel. Go into the world. Go. Go, dog, go. In that mindset, then, Peter writes this letter to these believers, scattered and persecuted throughout northern Asia, Minor, Pontus, Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, all these places. And Paul, uh, Peter actually pulls out two ideas from the Old Testament that he wants to apply in the New Testament, priesthood and sacrifice. But what he does with those, Peter, is he puts a distinctly Jesus spin on those two things. So my sermon today is going to be a little unusual. One verse. Some of you are going to enjoy it. Some of you won't. That's okay. We're going to take just this one verse, just these few small thoughts, and we're going to unpack it a little together. It's a little bit of a divergence from our rocks metaphor. Uh, we looked at that last week, and we're going to return to it next week. It's just kind of thrown in the middle of it here. Uh, and here's our thought. You are... God's holy priests who offer spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. So, three questions for us this morning. What is an Old Testament priest? And secondly, what about Jesus? And then thirdly, what about me? What about us? And what about us? See, in the Old Testament, there's this whole group of special people within the religion who get to call themselves priests. They're better than the rest of us. They're smarter, they're more educated, they tell us what to do, right? Not everyone in Israel gets to be a priest. Even if you want to be a priest and you study real hard and you memorize all the scriptures and you do all the right things, you're not going to get to be a priest if you're not from the right family. You see, only the tribe of Levi can be priests. If you're from the tribe of Dan or Naphtali or Manasseh, you're out of luck. Sorry, <laughs> you were born into the wrong family. That's crazy. The Old Testament priesthood is all about physical family, who you're related to. Now, what did a priest do? Well, I could show you hundreds of scriptures. You could, you could take your whole day off this week and do an Old Testament study about priests, and that wouldn't be a waste of your time. That would be better than probably what your, many of you are going to do on your day off, <laughs> including playing video games. But a priest in the Old Testament essentially was somebody who intervened on behalf of people. He was a, a go-between, an intercessor. So he brought God to the people, and he was in between that, 
and he brought the people to God. The priest was an intercessor. And then out of all the priests, there was specifically chosen this high priest. The high priest, once a year, would offer a sacrifice for the people and for himself in the Holy of Holies. Once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so that's what a priest was. A priest was basically a go-between between the people and the God. He brought God to the people and he brought the people to God. He was an intercessor. <laughs> and you see, under the Old Testament law, you couldn't just go to God anytime you wanted to, just willy-nilly wandering up to the throne of grace anytime you felt like it, pestering God as he's busy working on all this stuff, still tainted by all this sin that you have. Uh-uh. You can't do that. It's much more serious business than that. Your sinfulness cannot abide in the presence of a holy God. You would be struck dead. So they had to have all these things in place to protect people from God, a holy God. It was a serious business to get your sin covered. And the priest essentially became a trained religious butcher. Now I say that um, without wanting to offend my Jewish friends. Most of them would agree with that. In the Old Testament, that's what you did. You, you lived in Jerusalem. People brought their animals. You had to kill them the right way in order to sacrifice for those sins. Right? So the, 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 the priest was a trained religious butcher who killed a lot of animals for a lot of people to cover a lot of sin. Like a lot. You did not want to smell the temple in Jesus' day. And all of that changed when Jesus came along. You see, Jesus became the sacrifice once and for all, for all people's sins, during all generations, for all time. Jesus became our sacrifice. The book of Hebrews says, unlike those other priests, Jesus doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of other people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. See, Jesus is the Son of God. And he was without any sin in and of himself. He didn't commit any sins. He didn't have to pay a penalty for his own sins because he didn't commit any. And so in love, but also with a great deal of reluctance, he chose to take your sin. He took my sin. He took the whole world's sin and he paid the death penalty for all of us. He didn't have to do that. But he chose to do it because he loves us. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. All you have to do is accept it. That's all you have to do. Accept that you are a sinner and that Jesus died for your sins. Believe that he is the son of God who died and rose on the third day and then confess that you're going to follow him for the rest of your life. There's nobody else like him, only a holy God. That's, that's easy. Accept, believe, confess, ABC. You could teach it to kids in Bible camp. It's easy for you because it was so hard for him. The Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's this miraculous exchange. My death for his life. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. He took my debt and all my sin and washed it all away. I'll never stop preaching that. Never. I'll never stop getting emotional about that. And I will never stop sharing that with anyone who will listen. And once in a while with a few people who won't listen. If you think about it, that's the heart of it all. Question number three then. Well, then what about us? What about you and and me well, if you think about it, this whole system that was built around priests and sacrifices and law that had lasted for thousands of years, like Jesus did away with it all in a weekend. <laughs> that's, that's how long it took for him to just become the pinnacle of it all. He just culminated the whole law and the sacrifice in one weekend. God wiped the slate clean for humanity. There's no need for a sacrifice anymore because Jesus became the sacrifice once and for all. And there's no need for a priesthood anymore because God has said that each one of us can now approach him through Jesus Christ. We don't need another intercessor. We've got Jesus. We've got the best intercessor going. Why would we even need anyone else we don't need anyone he's designated Jesus to be our high priest and we don't need any other priests if a priest is a go-between between God and ordinary people we don't need that anymore because we got Jesus Jesus brings us to God and Jesus brings God to us we don't need a priesthood anymore because we've got something better we have Jesus so that's the first thought, that under Jesus, that whole system has been fulfilled, not abolished, fulfilled. It reached its zenith in genus, Jesus, zenith, zenith, I don't know, should never use that word, and it radically shifted his sacrifice. In the New Testament, what we see then, after the time of Jesus, we, we see people who, who no longer have a priesthood, what we see instead of People who are a priesthood. That's what the difference is. We don't have a priesthood. We are a priesthood. See, what our Bibles teach us is that when you and I became believers in Jesus, when we accepted him into our hearts, when we became born again, whatever terms you use, when we did that, we became priests. Richard is a priest. Kevin's a priest. Lonnie's a priest. Pastor Darren is a priest. Judas is a priest. Don't say that. That's the first thought then. Under Jesus, this whole system has been fulfilled. We have no longer a priesthood because we are priests. Dr. Alan Stibbs says this. What was unthinkable in Judaism has become fundamental in Christianity. Proselytes become priests. None of us is, is born again as pastor or apostle, preacher or teacher. Those are not things that apply to all of us blanket-wise. But all of us, when we are born again, all of us are priests. It's the priesthood of all believers. That's what shaped the Reformation. 
That's what shifted Martin Luther's whole thinking. You and I are priests. And we don't get this because of what tribe we belong to. It's not a matter of family connection. It's a matter of spiritual connection. It's through Jesus. It is through Jesus that all of us become priests. And that's what Peter says explicitly in verse 9. Pastor Darren read it for us right at the very beginning of our service today. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Hundreds of years before Jesus, Isaiah the prophet predicted this when he said this, you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God, Isaiah 61, 6. And at the back of your Bibles in John's book of Revelation, it says this reality, all praise to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by shedding his blood for us. And he has made us a kingdom of priests who serve before God his Father. Revelation 1, verse 5 and 6. That's gospel truth. That in Jesus, all of us are priests, guided by the word of God, serving together with Christ and under Christ in the spiritual temple that God is building for his glory. So this morning, I want to ask you this. Or you can ask yourself this. Do I feel like a priest? What does it mean for me to be a priest? Do I have that sense, that calling in my life, that anointing from Jesus to be that go-between between God and people? Do I see the holiness that there is in all of my ordinary activities, whether it be in church on Sunday, whether it be in the school, whether it be in the garage, whether it be in the field, or whether it be in the home. Do you realize that you're a priest? You're a priest. And because you're a priest, there is a holiness in everything that you do. What you do matters. It resonates. It ripples beyond what you can even imagine. It speaks of God even when you don't realize it. And so since you are a priest... Let me just encourage you this morning to be faithful in your priestly activities. And I think there's two ways that we can kind of focus our priestly activities as Christians, as followers of Jesus. There's two ways to offer spiritual sacrifices. First of all, when you read the Old Testament, most people don't realize there's two different kinds of sacrifices. There's atoning sacrifices, and then there's thanksgiving sacrifices. And we talk about the atoning sacrifices an awful lot. The atoning sacrifices are the sacrifices that cover our sin, right? Before Jesus comes along, we have to kill an animal. We have to kill a, a goat or a sheep or something, and it's blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so that's the atoning sacrifice. You had to bring the best sheep and the unblemished lamb from your flock to Jerusalem to the temple and, and the priest would slaughter that and, and that would cover your sin for the next year. That's an atoning sacrifice. And let me tell you this, as New Testament Christians, all of that atonement has been covered by Jesus. Jesus became our sacrifice once and for all. That part of the sacrificial system is completely done away with because it's been culminated in the one sacrifice once and for all for all times. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. 
You don't have to go get baptized in the Jordan River. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to memorize the entire Bible. You don't have to do anything to earn your forgiveness. You are already forgiven. That's the atonement sacrifice that Jesus did. But there's a whole other kind of sacrifice in the Old Testament. It's the Thanksgiving sacrifice. You'd bring grains. Sometimes you'd bring wine and pour it out. Like all sorts of ways to celebrate because you've been forgiven. Because your sin's been covered. You have this response of thanksgiving. And that, when you start to read the Old Testament, it's really cool to read about all of the uh, Thanksgiving sacrifices. Did you know that just having some friends over and having a meal together and celebrating God's goodness, that was a Thanksgiving sacrifice? It's true. Your Easter meal, where you invite friends and family over, the new pastor who's kind of weird, and and you just share that meal, that, that can become a Thanksgiving sacrifice. When you, when you phone somebody up and go for coffee at McDonald's, we saw uh, two couples I saw on Wednesday night after their Bible study just taking each other out for coffee and celebrating the life of Christ in each other. That, that is a Thanksgiving sacrifice. Hebrews says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices to please God. Hebrews 13. Serving in a soup kitchen. Volunteering for the refugee committee. They're looking for volunteers. Writing encouragement to your missionaries. Making a meal for a young family. Visiting a shut-in. Even if it's just through the glass window. Posting spiritual encouragement on Facebook. Instead of your regular diatribes. Guilty. Supporting another compassion child. All of these things can become thanksgiving sacrifices. All of these things and more are ways that you, as a priest of the Most High God, can offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And they're just little ways that you're bringing God to the people. As a priest, that's what you do. You bring God to the people. And then you bring the people to God. You witness You tell other people about him. You open your mouth and you step into the awkwardness and you say words. Words, oh, scary words. William Barclay says this. The Latin word for priest is pontifex. Probably heard that. Do you know what it means in Latin? It means a bridge builder. I like that. We go to Bridgeway Community Church, like my brothers and sisters, fellow priests of the Lord. Let's not just be members who go to Bridgeway Church. Let's be priests who build bridges into our community. Let's honor our name even as we honor our God. Let's be deliberate about reaching our community. The Apostle Paul says that God gave him... Paul, that the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an acceptable offering to God sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, verse 16. Allow me, if you will, to paraphrase that and to apply it to you because I think it applies to more than just Paul. God 
has given you the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus so that unbelievers will become an offering acceptable to God, made holy through the Holy Spirit. When I think about the home that I grew up in, <laughs> there's a lot of things we didn't have financially, materially, physically. It was an unfinished home. In fact, it was kind of ugly. <laughs> it was. And I'm so thankful that as ugly as our home was, Jesus was at the center of it. We lived in an unfinished home that some people judged unkindly. For crying out loud, we had a picnic table for a dining room table. We had a picnic table with the benches and everything in our dining room. I remember the first time I brought Elaine home and she's like, do you have a picnic table? We sure do. And when we gathered around that crazy orange picnic table, we were priests of the Most High God. I remember one time my older sister, in her rebellion, brought home some friends from college 15-year-old me had such a huge crush on her Swedish friend, Uta. But anyways, one of them offhandedly said, you know, I don't think you can come to this home for very long without hearing about Jesus. And as a 15-year-old, I went, that's pretty cool. My parents did a lot of things wrong. They made a lot of mistakes. But the most important thing that they got right they taught us how to be priests of the Most High God. Some of you have homes like that. Some of you are building homes like that. Some of you are creating legacies like that. Some of you are living lives like that. Some of you understand what it is to be priests of the Most High God. If you don't tell them about Jesus, who will? And it's not what you do, it's who you are. Jesus has a message of love and hope and forgiveness that he wants to bring to the world through you. You are God's holy priests who offer sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. He has called you, he's anointed you, he has named you to be his priest, his pontifex, his holy one. He's called you to bring this message of Jesus into your world. You speak about Jesus in your homes. You speak about Jesus over the fence with your neighbor. You speak about Jesus on horseback on the trail ride. You speak about Jesus in the hallways at school. You speak about Jesus to the server in the restaurant, to the young man filling your gas tank, to the store employee at the returns counter. You speak about Jesus to the government officials and politicians who are making difficult decisions about COVID protocols that you probably don't agree with. You speak about Jesus to the people who want to make you think and act and talk like they do, even though they don't think and talk and act like Jesus does. You speak about Jesus, even though you are a stranger in a strange land, because you understand you are a priest of the Most High God. You speak about Jesus wherever you go, whatever you do. You never stop being a priest. You never stop bringing God to the people. And you never stop bringing the people to God. It's not what you do. It is who you are. You are a priest of the Most High God.